In your Bibles then to Acts chapter 28, the very last uh, chapter of the book that we've spent several months in now. We're going to read from verse 11 uh, through to the end. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It will be on the screen for you, but if you've got your Bible or your phone, keep it open uh, so that you can follow along when Danny uh, comes and brings God's Word to us. Acts chapter 28, starting from verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes, sorry, with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Is this sounding okay? 
Last week when I had this mic on, it went all south, remember? But we got it fixed. Hey, it's great to have you with us if you're new or visiting. If you don't know me, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, it's kind of a cool day to come, actually, because we're finishing the series. And in some sense, you get a bit of a wrap-up of the whole book in some way. I won't do that. I won't do that to you. But I think it's a good day to come. So we're going to finish our series, Sent, in the book of Acts. We're in the last chapter. And what I want to do is kind of three things today. I want to bring us up to speed with where we are in chapter 28. So we've gone very quickly over the last few chapters. Then I just want to do a little comment about how the book finishes and what it's trying to do. And we're going to do three quick things on what we can learn, not just from our passage, but from the book as a whole. Yep, you ready? Let's do it. Why don't we start with prayer? Father God, thank you so much for this wonderful book. It's the first time that I've certainly worked through it in this much depth, and it's been a real blessing to me. And from what I understand to everyone in our church, or at least many of the people that have spoken to me about how you've worked in them and through them and encouraged them and reminded us that we are sent once on mission for Jesus. And so we want to hear from you again this morning, Lord Jesus, as you as you remind us again of uh, our witness that we are sent into the world, that the uh, salvation of God that has been won by you has been sent out to an unbelieving and um, struggling world. But Lord, we see there's a danger here right in this passage as, as it finishes with an address to your people, the Jews. And that's quite interesting. But, but they, they are told that they have been not listening they have not been seeing, and that they are not understanding and believing. And I guess that would be a similar challenge for us, that as we are addressed, the ones that should understand, the ones that should see and that should listen, that maybe we don't. May that not happen this morning, Lord. Please open our eyes that we might see. Open up our ears that we might hear as we ought, and our hearts to believe and understand and be convinced and be changed by this amazing good news of you, Lord, and also what you share with us in this book. So be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've done 18 sermons stretching over four months on the first 20 chapters of the book of Acts, and we're doing two sermons over two weeks on the last eight chapters. So it seems a bit out of balance, doesn't it, um, that we give so little attention to the last few chapters. But, but as I mentioned last week, and we'll see it again this week, um, most of Acts 21 to 28 is, is about travel uh, and trials. Okay, So it's about trials because it shows us that the Christian life, in the Christian life, we're constantly um, under trial from a watching world. But we also saw last week that that's not the only trial we're facing. There's also a coming trial, the judgment the coming judgment of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus. And when we live in light of that trial, then we don't have anything to fear or anyone to fear uh, as we go through this current trial. So that's the trials part. But also there is lots of travel details. And I want to bring you through some of this. And I'm nervous that it's going to feel a bit like I'm a history um, lecturer or something like that. But there is a lot of travel details. Remember how uh, Paul ended up in Jerusalem, right down the bottom right corner under the big word Judea, that's where he ended up in Acts 21. And he's supporting the struggling Christians there as he brought lots of finances from a lot of the churches that he's planted there in the middle and he's brought it to try and help his nation and the people of God. 
And now when he was there in Jerusalem, a bunch of Jews like seized him. They almost killed him. The authorities had to come in and rescue him. And there he faced his first trial. And, and in the end, he was actually escorted to Caesarea down there um, by the authorities because Paul's life was in danger. And in Caesarea, Paul, is, Paul kind of faces multiple trials. He spends a number of, of years, there, actually two years at one point, it says he was in jail there. Um, and, and we looked at one of those trials last week. Now, following kind of trial after trial and the Romans' authorities not releasing him, even though they say multiple times there is nothing uh, of worthy of uh, imprisonment or death in this man, Paul ends up saying, look, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, I've got that right. I'm going to appeal to Caesar because you guys are not doing anything about this whole situation and I want justice. So in Acts 25, verse 12, the governor of Caesarea actually says, his name's Festus, he says, to Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. And so in Acts 27, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul and some of his companions, like Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, get put on a boat by, by the authorities, and uh, they, they set sail uh, for Rome. So they first get to Sidon, then from there they go to Myra, from there they go to Snidus, I don't, I don't know if that's how you say it, from there, they kind of go down to a place called Fair Havens. And it's there when Paul says to them, hey, guys, I don't think we should go any further. Like, I just got a feeling that we're going to lose uh, a lot of things, not just the cargo. We're not just going to lose a ship, but we might also lose some lives. But the centurion who's in charge of Paul and in this whole journey, he listens to the experts, which is kind of fair. He listens to the captain and the owner of the ship instead. And so they decide that they're going to set sail just a little bit further up there to Phoenix, and they're going to spend the winter there. That was their hope. But as you can see, that line takes a sharp turn, because as they're heading to Phoenix, this nasty northeasterly hits them, and they almost crash the boat at that little island there, Cowder, and they, they kind of managed to kind of do it. You know, as I was reading this, I was thinking, this will be sick if they made a movie of this. It's like action-packed. Constantly people's lives are in danger and things have got to happen. And there's lots of tension between everyone on the boat. Maybe like that movie Planes, right? But anyway, so they almost crash there. They throw a lot of cargo off the ship just to try and keep this thing afloat. And they just let the boat be taken by uh, this wind. And so off they go. And... Um, it's kind of at this time uh, where they end up in a horrible storm just after this. And for two weeks, it says, they didn't see the sun or any of the stars. They were just in this horrendous, horrendous storm for days. And it's during this time when the sailors just stop eating. I don't know if they go, oh, well, you know, there's not a lot of food left or where's it all going to go? Maybe they're fasting to try and a kind of appeal to their gods, you know, a bit like in the book of Jonah, and they've just lost hope of being saved. It's just, it just seems so hopeless is what it says in Acts 27. But Paul gets up during this time and he says to them, guys, hey, an angel of God has appeared to me and it's all going to be okay. We're only going to lose the ship. And so he encouraged them to eat. He says, eat. And Paul does this wonderful. He prays and he gives them food. And would you believe it? They start eating and everyone is strengthened and encouraged. And after more than two weeks of traveling through that chaotic time, I don't know how accurate that line is exactly that bit. The other bits I trust. Uh, but they're in there for two weeks and they finally see a beach. And they thought, well, if we can run the ship onto the beach, 
then we'll be okay. We'll, we'll work something out. And as they try and go onto a beach, they, they hit a reef and they get shipwrecked at, the, at that island of Malta. And that is where our passage begins. So now we are up to, up to our passage. Let's have a quick look uh, through our passage, if you like. So we're going to the second part of the sermon now. But it's here where our passage begins, three months after they crash. Now, normally from about mid-November to mid-March, no, no one went onto the ocean, really, for big travels. There was a famous saying back in the day where people, if someone came to you and said, hey, can you take me there? They'd just say, the sea is closed. It was winter time. It was stormy. It was dangerous. And so just no one went on the sea for big travel. And it was probably at the beginning of that time when they almost crashed, when Paul said, hey, guys, I think, I think we're in that time. Let's not go any further. But they didn't listen. So, um, so they crash onto Malta and they leave there after spending those winter months on the island. And there's some cool stuff that happens there that you can go have a look at as well. And then we get to our passage in Acts 28, verse 11. So they, they board a ship. I don't know if you noticed this when Tony was reading it, with the twin gods uh, as a figurehead engraved on the front of the ship. And these two gods, uh, supposedly the sons of Zeus, their, name, their names are Castor and Pollux, I think is how you would say it. But they were believed to be the savior gods. And they, they were meant to um, be the protectors of good fortune when you go onto any traveling on the sea. And the funny thing is, this is why I'm mentioning it, is as they're sailing from Malta and they go to Syracuse and then they go to Regium and Puteoli, they get to that port, everyone on that ship knows that those gods are useless. <laughs> Even though they sail in there into this thing, oh, look at the figure gods, everyone on the ship knows that they did nothing for them. And it is Paul's God that brought them to where they are. And so from Puteoli there, the, the last bit, they walk by foot, and they end up at Rome. And when Paul and his companions get there, as you saw in our passage, there's some, some Christians from the region that heard that they are there, and so they come along to them, and, and Paul is just so thankful. I don't know if you notice that there in verse 15. He was so thankful that he can be gathered with these believers, and he is tremendously encouraged. Something that I hope happens here this morning with us as we gather as believers, that we might be encouraged. And so then the rest of our passage uh, predominantly are these two big addresses that Paul does uh, with the two, towards the Jews. In, in verses 17 to 22, Paul addresses the Jewish leaders and he shares why he's there under house arrest in Rome. He tells them of his innocence. There's a short summary of that in our passage. He tells them uh, how he's got nothing against his nation and how he has... Um, kind of the main reason he's there is because of the, his hope in the resurrection, just like the same hope that every Israelite has. And then in verses 23 to 28, there's more than just the Jewish leaders that Paul addressed. They come and a bunch of other people come to where Paul stays and he tells them about Christianity. And did you notice why he's telling them? In verse 22, we see that they wanted to hear from Paul because everywhere from what they've heard from people, everyone is speaking against Christianity. So nothing's really changed since then, has it? I was thinking like, you know, how much good Christianity does. It teaches people not to steal, to work hard, to be forgiving, to be gracious, to be kind, all this stuff. And yet Christianity is spoken badly of. But have a look in verse 23, how Paul goes about uh, kind of addressing them. So from morning 
till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So that's our Old Testament. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So just like Paul does everywhere, he shares about the kingdom of God. He's just, he doesn't really have anything else. I'm imagining like a golf player and in his, in his bag, he's only got one club really. And it's the kingdom of God. And he, he tries to share it with people. He tries to convince people about the truths of Jesus, that he is the king of this kingdom that's come. And he shows it to them from the scriptures. And as we've seen throughout Acts, and it's, it'll be the same today, some people are convinced and they believe, and other people's, people disbelieve. And, so, and then it kind of, you get the end of the book of Acts. It finishes with that short summary. Did you notice that? Verse 30 to 31. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without interest. It's interesting to notice there, just quickly in a verse like that, it covers two years. It did the same in last year's passage. All of Acts goes for about 30 years. So when you have friends who say, oh, well, you know, in the book of Acts, they did all the signs and, and tongues, and we have to do that every Sunday. It's like, well, that didn't happen every Sunday, even where they were. It happened over 30 years in different times and places. So there's just a little thought for you. So the book finishes up, I think, quite weirdly. It finishes a bit like open-ended. We, we don't know if Paul ended up before Caesar or not. We don't know if he, um, if he reached more people beyond Rome. We, we don't even know if he's dead or alive after his two years there. But here's what, here's what Luke, I think, the writer of Acts, is doing in leaving the book open-ended. Here in Acts 28, verse 31, the book of Acts finishes. But the acts of the risen and living Lord Jesus continues. It is, it's the acts of the living Lord Jesus that we followed. How He builds His church through His Word in the power of His Spirit. And, and that's still happening today. Remember how um, the book of Acts started? Have a look here. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in the first book, O Theophilus, Luke is saying, who's writing this, the, you know the Luke's gospel that I wrote to you before? Well, I showed you what Jesus began to do then. But now in this second volume I'm, volume, I'm showing you what Jesus continues to do. And we see throughout the book that Jesus is alive and he's reigning and he's still acting powerfully, bringing about salvation to the nations, even if we don't know what's happened with Paul. And actually the point is, I think the vagueness of what has happened with Paul is meant to remind us of the actual main character of the whole book, which is Jesus. And that's why the book finishes as it does. And I want to show you three things from our passage today that summarizes how Jesus is still acting. Okay, so um, we've kind of done the getting us up to speed. We've seen how the book finishes and what's the point. And then three things. And here's the first one. The risen Jesus puts us exactly where we need to be to testify about him. Have you wondered why, um, why Paul needs to get to Rome? I mean, it's like eight chapters of, of details, just like detail after detail. And, and, and that's part of the reason why we don't preach through it. And maybe even when I was going through all those maps, you're like, why is this guy telling us all this stuff? Like, why is Rome so important What's so important about getting to Rome? 
Well, maybe it's simply because Paul appealed to Caesar, remember? Uh, and, you know, like I shared with you guys beforehand. Oh, darn, it's pretty simple, actually. But we don't even know if he, he, he got in front of Caesar. So would, would Luke devote all of this time and not actually give us an answer for that? I don't think that is the case. Or maybe it's because Paul is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Remember, Donnie, that's right. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, I I will give you my spirit, you'll be empowered, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Rome is the ends of the earth. I get it. And that's what I used to think. But that is not the case either, I think. We, We kind of believe that in Rome... Uh, There was no one that knew about Jesus, and so Paul is going and he's taking the gospel there and he's telling these people about Jesus. But the reality is, there are already Christians in Rome. (laughs) That's who Paul writes to when he writes the the letter to the Romans. Uh, And at the end of the letter, Paul says this, so this is just as he's finishing up the the letter, I'll, I'll tell you why I know that the Christians are already there. He finishes up his letter and he says, hey, I'm about to go to Jerusalem to give aid to the Christians there. That's what he says at the end of the book of Romans. And we know that's already happened in Acts 21. Not to mention that when Paul arrives in Rome, there's Christians from all over the place that comes and says, hey, we're one of you. And so they're already Christians. So the good news of Jesus had already reached Rome. So why Rome? Well, maybe it's because uh, Paul said in the book of Romans, here, Danny, now you've, you've kind of got my, me thinking about the book of Romans. In there, doesn't he say that he wants to go to Rome so that he can go to Spain and reach those people there? That's the desire he shares at the end of Romans. But again, we don't hear from Luke anything about that. So I don't think that's the point. So why is Paul in Rome? <laughs> Danny, stop giving us all the answers why he's not there. Just tell us why he's there. Okay. So I think Paul is in Rome simply because that's where Jesus wanted him to be, to testify about him. It's that simple. I'm not making this up. Have a look at Acts 23, verse 11. Uh, The following night, the Lord stood by him, so that's Paul, and he said to him, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And that's exactly what Paul does, isn't it? Uh, When he gets to Rome, have a look at verse 23 again. From morning till evening, expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures. Friends, the risen Lord Jesus puts us exactly where we need to testify about him. And that's the same for you and me. Wherever we are is where Jesus wants us to witness to him. And I'm not simply talking about verbally telling people about Jesus. I'm certainly not saying that's not involved. That is the minimum of how we witness to Him. But uh, there's also showing by our lives the power of the kingdom of God breaking into our world and into our lives. But by our words, by our actions, you know, by our patience, by your grace, your language, your gentleness your sacrifice, your self-control, your, your out-of-this-world joy, even in the midst of crazy times. We want to be witnesses of the kingdom of God that's breaking through in our lives and share of the King in whom we trust that's doing this for us. And we do this wherever we are. 
because Jesus has put us here for that very reason. You don't have to worry, oh, maybe, maybe I should go to Africa to be a missionary. No, no, just wherever you are, do it. And if you do it well here, then maybe you should go there. Just do it wherever you are. Your current workplace, your school, your university, your retirement village, whether you're on the sports field or next to it shouting at people, trying to encourage them, whether you're in Calmscott or Armadale or Thornley, whether you're in the sauna or the gym, I've heard those are good, good places to share the gospel with people. Two people recently have told me how they've shared in the sauna. People are stuck in there, man. It's a great opportunity. So the sauna or the gym, um, it doesn't matter where you are. Just do it. Um, and, and I think the other thing to, to think about is it, it's not about whether it's easy or hard. You know, like you, uh, you've been put in your family to witness to them, whether that's difficult or not. Like, I don't think Paul had it easy, did he? <laughs> for, for Jesus to take him from where he was to Rome. But, but he had him there for a purpose. And that's where Jesus wanted him and he's got us where he wants us. Let me also say this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, you're also exactly where Jesus wants you. Exactly where he wants you. You're not here by accident. Maybe, maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you don't quite understand him. Uh, maybe you've heard some really bad things from other people about Christianity, like in our passage. There's nothing new about that. Maybe you've picked up a Bible and you just started reading it from the start like you do with any other book and you kind of gave up quite quickly when things got messy and you don't see how it all fits together. Or maybe your heart's just been cold towards Jesus and kind of shut off from any idea of God. I'm glad you're here if that is you. And and actually everyone in this room was somewhere along there at some point in their lives. And what Jesus is saying to you today is what he says there in verse 27. Turn to me, like we sang before, and I will heal you. I think that's so beautiful. Jesus knows that you're hurting. Jesus knows that you're broken. Jesus knows that you're not flourishing as you could. And he wants you to turn to him so that he can heal you. And and if you decide to do that today, I'd love to hear from you. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I would love to do that, but I've got no idea how to turn to him. Well, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to help you or celebrate with you. So that's the first thing. The risen Jesus puts us exactly where we need to be to testify to him. Secondly, the message of God's kingdom and king is unstoppable. This, this has to be one of the biggest points of our passage and also of the book as a whole. Look there at the last two words of our passage, the last, which is the last two words of the book. Uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching... This is more than two words, I'm just reading the sentence. Um, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Without hindrance. That's one word in the original language. And it's kind of got this meaning of unpreventable. Like you can't prevent whatever is happening before that word. And what's happening before that word? Well, Paul was teaching about Jesus. And the spread of the good news was unpreventable. No one could prevent it spreading. They tried. They tried. Paul's message is is summarized there in verse 28 as the salvation of God. And you see, God's chosen king has come. 
And, and he's had victory over sin on the cross. He's had victory over death through his resurrection. And he is bringing people into this kingdom. He's saving them as they trust in him. And this message of salvation has been sent out into an unbelieving world. And it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. No one can prevent its spread. They tried. Think about how we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. Um, I mean, and this is interesting because that's why a lot of churches, if you go search sermon series on Acts on Google, like Tony and I do, to try and steal ideas of how to make a, 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 a design for our series, a lot of churches call their series Unstoppable or the Unstoppable Gospel because of this very fact. So the word about Jesus, King and Savior, continued to spread despite the threats of the Jews. Remember right at the beginning, they called in. Every time someone preached about Jesus, they called them in and threatened them. It continued to spread. Uh, you think about the church, how it continued to grow. Remember, despite the stoning of Stephen and the severe persecution that broke out, and, and the church didn't just survive, it thrived during those times. Even when the secular authorities, they, they thought, oh, this will be fun, let's kill that Christian guy. So they killed James and it was Passover, so they threw Peter in prison. Remember, they thought, oh, this is a fun little game. The Jews are liking this. We're getting lots of praise. Uh, but even that couldn't stop it. Despite all the plots of the Jews to kill Paul and, uh, you know, like all the, um, the stirring up of the riots to prevent him from speaking, the message continued to go. It kept going and it kept going. You know what? Not even the church itself could stuff it up. Remember the church, how there were these times when some of them were deceptive and greedy. They lied about money. They were holding back. And Jesus just stomped it out. Think about how the leaders you know, were at a time where they were potentially getting distracted from proclamation of the gospel and prayer about the gospel. And Jesus made sure that they stayed focused. Or even think about uh, how they almost lost the very heart of the gospel doctrinally. And Jesus brought his whole church together at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And, and they made sure, he made sure, that they stuck to the gospel through uh, salvation, through Christ alone, by faith alone. <laughs> it, the gospel is just unstoppable. And the point is that the message of God's kingdom and his king is unstoppable. It went from Jerusalem and it went all the way to Rome. It went from one person, Jesus, to 12 apostles, to thousands of people. And then we're only at Acts chapter 2 and billions today. Now think about, think with me, how easily Jesus took Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. I don't think it was easy for Paul, but it was easy for Jesus. And so he, he takes this one guy on this little journey just quickly and he puts him in the most prominent city you know, in the whole world at the time. The city that's at the center of everything that happens, that shapes everything. And Jesus does that to shape that city with the gospel. Imagine for a second, let's just play some games. Imagine for a second what Jesus could do with a church full of people in the cities of Armadale and Gosnells. What do you think he can do? Those twin cities for Jesus with a church that's this full, and don't forget the other churches that's out there, and it must be easy to reach the city of Gosnells and the city of Armadale. Do you believe the message of Jesus is as un unstoppable today 
as it was back in the day of Acts. And if you think that it is unstoppable, I mean, if you think it is stoppable, what do you think will stop it? Maybe, oh, well, I know, Danny. Maybe it's all the stuff that they teach our kids in school these days and about evolution just from a really young age and sexuality and, oh, well, once they you know, have that in their brain, there's no way that they're ever going to believe in Jesus. I don't think so. I mean, I think those things are sad and I certainly want to protect our kids from things like that. But the Roman culture had some really messed up ideas of creation and some really messed up ideas of sexuality and the the gospel spread like wildfire in the Roman culture. So why wouldn't it here in Perth? Or maybe our government will stop it. You know, all the bills that they're considering. uh, And it just seems, generally speaking, that they don't really favorably look upon Christians these days. Or, or maybe, maybe you're here this morning and um, you, you're a big fan of the royal family and you're thinking, oh golly, you know, King Charles, he's now the defender of the faith. That's part of his title. And you know what? Like, he doesn't even believe in Jesus. His mother was a godly Christian woman who loved Jesus, but, but he doesn't. So, oh golly, there goes the faith. Oh, the church is in a mess. Oh, it'll be fine. The goodness of King Jesus is not ruined by bad government and leaders. Even when injustice is done, Jesus' gospel continues to spread. Now, here's one thing I think that can stop the spread of the gospel. And that's churches and Christians that stop trusting in the unstoppable gospel. Christians and churches who start fearing man instead of God puts a halt to the spread of the gospel among them and through them. Now, don't get me wrong, the gospel is still going to keep going. It's just not going to keep going through them, which is sad. And I don't know about you, but I definitely don't want to stand before Jesus one day and he says, Darnie, oh, mate. I had all these people in your area of influence that I had to find another way of reaching because you stopped believing that in the gospel. You stopped believing that really it could save people. So I had to find another way. Oh, that would hurt, wouldn't it? And I don't want to do that. And so when everything seems to suggest that we shouldn't share Jesus with others and maybe we should stop and pack up and go, let's just shut these doors, let's go start another hobby But what do we do? We pray for boldness and trust. And this gets us to our third and final point. We boldly proclaim the kingdom of God and we convince people about Jesus. Look, that's what Paul does in verse 31. Look at it again. Proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. You see, Paul boldly witnessed to Jesus and so should we. And then the reality is, it wasn't just Paul, it was also just the church throughout the book of Acts. It characterized the church throughout the book of Acts. Eleven times Luke tells us that the church's boldness in proclaiming and preaching of the gospel was there. And actually, when you think about it, 11 times out of 28 is not that much, is it? But it seems that the time that this mentioned is when the heat was turned right up. And everything suggests that they shouldn't talk about Jesus now. And that's when we're told that they did it with boldness. When we need boldness is when everything around us says, don't do it. 
And so we need to do it with boldness. Have a look here at Acts 4, verse 13. Now when they, so this, they've got the whole council of the Jewish leaders, they've got Peter and John in front of them, and kind of you just imagine being surrounded by this group of people being interrogated about preaching about Jesus. But these people, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And even when they perceived that they were uneducated common men, you're sitting around all these people who all have PhDs and you haven't even finished high school and you think, maybe I should shut my mouth. Maybe these guys know better. But they didn't. These people were astonished and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. You see, it's when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, when we, when we look beyond this world, that we get a boldness to share the good news of Jesus. Now, there will be pressures and there will be persecution that will make us feel like shrinking in our witness of Jesus. That's true. But we must be bold. And I want to give you three very practical tips to help you with boldly sharing Jesus, okay? The first, Tony's already mentioned this, he's stolen my thunder, but in fairness, I didn't tell him I was going to do this. Um, Thanks for that, Tony. The first thing is we're starting a five-week series called Bold. And we we want to look at these five truths that should make us bold. We, We want in those five truths to lift our eyes up to Jesus so that people can see, man, these guys have been with Jesus. And so we can boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so make sure you come to that. Make sure as you come to that, you pray that those truths would, in, would indeed transform you to be bold like the church and the Christians in the book of Acts. So that's the first thing. Secondly, come to the Trinity at Night course, starting in term four, here at our church. You know, these courses are all over the city and they're often in Leaderville at Trinity House. And it's so rare that it's five or ten minutes from our doorstep. So make the most of it. It starts on Tuesday, the 18th of October. And anyone from our church gets 20 bucks off, which is a good deal. And it'll be a great six weeks. It's only six weeks. And so one of the things I think that gave the church boldness, as we kind of see in our passage again, is that they could open up a place anywhere in the scriptures and teach Jesus from there. And that's kind of what this course will help you to do. Imagine if you took this Bible and you gave it to someone, you say, you open this up any way you want, and I'll show you how awesome Jesus is. That would give you confidence and boldness to tell people about Jesus. And that's what this course will help you to do. It'll show you how all the books of the Bible, all 66 of them, fit together in one story that culminates in Jesus. So come along to this course right here. I think it'll be in the hall there. Uh, And hopefully it'll help you to grow in handling the Bible with all boldness. Okay, that's the second thing. Thirdly and lastly... We're doing a series called Searching as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes in term four. After Bold and in between the Bold series and Christmas, we're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I want to ask you to boldly invite your friends along to that series. Ecclesiastes is a great book for not yet Christians to come along to. You know, hopefully we can help them and convince them of Jesus from that book. The book is a is a book about a man who, who's extremely wealthy. He's got all this power, and so he's the right guy where you want to say, if, if this guy can find joy in X, Y, and Z, and if he can have, find meaning in life, well, then all of us maybe can. And so this man is pursuing meaning in things like work and pleasure and money, but he's never fulfilled. And either, 
either the things we, what happens is either the things we chase don't deliver what they promised, or as we get to them, death robs us of them, or maybe even chance. And so throughout this series, we will have a hard and often depressing look at life under the sun in the book of Ecclesiastes, but also we'll point people to a different life under another son, Jesus, the son of God. And so throughout the bold series, I want you to pray and think about who you can invite uh, along to the searching series in Ecclesiastes. We'll get some flyers out to you. You can maybe hand to your friends. Well, I'll try and do a little video and not look like a something, um, but maybe make it inviting to people and you can just share that with your friends. Okay, so let's finish like this. Let's wrap it up, wrap up this passage, wrap up this series. As we see there in verse 28, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. You and I have been sent with the gospel of Jesus into an unbelieving world. But they will listen. Not necessarily all of them, but they will listen. Just like in our story and throughout Acts, some will listen, some won't. But we won't know until we share it with them. We just need to be bold in our proclamation. And we've got an unstoppable gospel message and a king that sovereignly places us wherever we need to be to testify to him. And so I guess as we finish this book, we want to ask the question, will you be content with the 28 chapters of the book of Acts that Jesus has written through the lives of others? Or do you want more? Do you want him to write more of his acts of salvation through your life, through this church that won't be written in these pages, but we will sing about it for eternity in the halls of heaven? That's what I want. I hope you want the same. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are indeed risen right now. We're not talking to some dead person right now that lived thousands of years ago. You are alive right now and we're addressing you as our risen and reigning Lord. We thank you that you have such a love for this world, our world, for the cities of Armadale and Gosnells, uh, cities that, are, that have yeah, been very much against you, that are living broken and hurting and shallow lives. But Lord, you have placed us here in your sovereign hand and with all of your power to witness to these cities. And we pray that you would give us boldness to do that, please. The message we've got is unstoppable. The only thing that stops this message going out, at least in some way, is us. May we never stand guilty before you as people who who were obstacles to your message going out through this church. Please make us bold, especially through our series coming up. Help us to have our eyes fixed on you, to be transformed, to in the midst of trials, persecution and severe pressure to boldly proclaim your good news. You do great things when we do that. So would you continue, Lord, uh, not just to finish with the book of Acts, but to continue to show us your acts of salvation right here today and in our lives as we look to follow you and live for you and love you above all things. We pray this all in your mighty name and for the good of our own hearts and those around us.
Amen.